Well, we are jumping into a, uh, a new series today called Discover Meaning, and it's actually uh, the fourth series that we've done this year, uh, jumping in on these key words that we embrace as New City Church that we say, hey, if, if we're followers of Christ, we ought to be experiencing pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope in our life regularly. And we, we talked about pleasure to start the year off with, how we actually experience pleasure, and, and then we did peace and, and hope. We just finished up hope, and now we're talking, <clears throat> excuse me, now we're talking about meaning. Now, when we think about meaning, I know my mind first goes to kind of two words, accomplishment and ambition, like what is it that I get to, to do with my hand? Accomplishments and achievements. I'm very grateful that my life is not judged on the single work, the physical work of these two hands. I, I took shop when I was in middle school, all right? And I think everybody was required to do it. And I, I mean, I knew what a hammer and a wrench and stuff were, but like as a seventh grader, they were putting welding torches in our hands. I'm not sure that was a, a wise thing to do, but I remember we had a, we had a task to build a toolbox. And uh, so I followed the instructions, I, these metal toolboxes. We were I was like, I was driving rivets as a seventh grader. I don't, I don't even know if I would ever do that again in my life. We, we got this toolbox done, and it was just in time for Father's Day. And so I take it, this handmade toolbox, to my dad for Father's It didn't even quite close. The latch didn't go all the way. And I, can, I mean, when I, get, when I gave it to him, I could tell, like, he was like, Thank you. Thank you. So like he was trying to figure out what it was is what he couldn't quite figure out what it was. And I've never been like mechanically inclined. I don't like, you know, trying to build things. I, I can I can write, I guess, with my hands and things like that. But I, when I think about man, if, if my worth and my value was attached to the, the work that I could do with these two hands, man, my, my life may be meaningless, especially compared to other people. We went to uh, to Rome and Italy last year and to walk around into some of these museums. And you walk in, uh, when we were in Florence, we went to go see the Statue of David. And if you've ever seen that thing in person, I mean, the, the detail, the, the scope and size of it, it is just overwhelming. And to realize somebody did that with their two hands and a chisel and paintings that we would see, paintings that Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel, you would see these things and you're like, Man, my life is nothing if this is what we're judging by, right? My toolbox and the statue of David, like I'm a little lacking in this. But what I love about this and what Scripture teaches is this. God does not, we, and we do not find meaning in just what we can do with our hands and what we can accomplish and achieve. We actually find meaning in a very different place, and it's in meaningful relationships, it's in connections that we make with people. One of the other things I think back to when I was in seventh grade is this. I think of a friend of mine named Matthew. I've known Matthew since I was in first grade. I mean, we have been in school. We were in school together, first grade, kindergarten, all the way through. I have thousands of memories. I could sit here and talk to you today about what Matthew and I did together. When I was in Georgia this past weekend, one of the people we made sure that we saw were Matthew and Lisa a lifelong friend, uh, a friend that I remember sleeping over at his house and playing with matchbox cars all the way to now talking about what it is to, to raise teenagers and, and have our own kids graduating from high school and moving on to college. It, it was just, I can think back and my memory bank is flooded 
with key moments in my life that shifted and changed my life and brought meaning to my life because of the time I had with Matthew. I think about our trip to Italy. It wasn't the cool sights that I saw. And I, I mean, I love the statues and the painting, but it was getting to do it with my wife, Katie, by my side, that I got to experience these things with her. Those were anchor moments in our relationship that drove meaning in our life. The work of our hands is simply that, but meaning comes in our life through the engagement that we have with other people. And that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about. Because it is so easy to think it's about what we do. But really what God wants is something not just of what we do. Instead, he wants us to set aside this idea that you and I have been specifically formed with a specific purpose in life. Now, for some of you in here, you may be like, hold on, I've been told that my whole life. Like I have a, there's a specific purpose that God designed me for. Think about that for a minute. Like if, if you had, there's one purpose that God designed you for and you don't accomplish that one purpose, you veer off and you make a mistake. Like, and you're like, I, I just, I didn't do that one thing. That one thing I was supposed to do. I, I failed on that. Does the world then just begin to fall apart? Does it not happen the way that God intended? The thing is this, it's not that God has a specific purpose for your life. He has a purpose, but it's a common purpose to all of us. And that common purpose is to have community and relationship with him and those that he created. He desires for us to experience harmony in life. Harmony. And when I think about harmony, there's one word that comes to balance, to mind, and it's the word balance. Harmony is all about balance. We must learn to discover our true meaning. It comes in key relationships when we learn to balance these relationships in our life. When we experience frustration in our life, it's often because we've allowed relationships to get out of balance. Something's become more important than it shouldn't. Or this. And we end up seesawing back and forth. Do you remember a seesaw as a child? Like the worst thing to be is like stuck on top and somebody's at the bottom and they get that look on their eyes and you know what's about to happen. They're about to jump off the seesaw and you're like coming crashing down, right? And you're like, no, don't do it. You know, we, our lives are like that sometimes. We get out of balance in an area and somebody has too much control in our life or somebody has no control in our life that should have control. And the, guy, the idea is this. You and I were designed made and found meaning in having relationships with other people that bring balance to our life. That's harmony. And there's a great passage of scripture that talks about this. Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm going to read it to you here in just a moment. Let me give you a little background. This was written uh, most notably by, by Luke, the, uh, who wrote the gospel of Luke. He just continued kind of writing this is called the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's basically the story of many of the disciples, specifically Paul, after the resurrection. So we, we finished this whole series on, you know, Jesus and in the last days of Jesus. Now this is what people did afterwards. Afterwards. And so they're, 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 the church is beginning to develop. The church is beginning to connect. And this is one of the teachings uh, that come out of there, and one of the things that they did. So look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and here's what their life was like. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What I want to do today and what we're going to do over the next four weeks is break down some of the key pieces of this passage of what it actually means to live in this kind of community. This kind of thing that if you have a need and we can meet it, it's there. We're spending our lives day by day connecting with one another, growing with one another. And as we look at this, we're going to see that even in here, there are some balancing relationships. So we don't get too far in one direction and not enough in the other direction. And today we're going to look at two relationships that come out of this that we can see that are key in bringing balance to our life. And it's relationships that help uh, connect us. Relationships that connect us to our culture. Relationships that connect us to this world. Relationships that also connect us to growth. Relationships that connect us to God, to, to seeing something that's beyond ourselves. And the two relationships I want to talk about today is this. How do we have a meaningful relationship with those that have a different belief system than us? And how do we have meaningful relationships with those who have the same belief system as us? How do we engage with those that are outside of the faith, that aren't followers of Christ? What does this teach about that? And then how are we supposed to engage with those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ, that we walk arm in arm with? And I want us to spend the remainder of our time today looking at these two relationships because we are called to have both of those. We don't get, this is not a pick one or the other. This is not a unbalanced seesaw. Once you become a follower of Christ, you don't get to disengage from the rest of the world. That's not our calling. It's not what Christ did. It's the exact opposite. He actually went back into the world. He sent his disciples to go and be back in the world. When he ascended to heaven, he didn't say, come on with me. He sent them out. But we're also not to call to just live our life in cultural immersion and act like nothing has ever changed in our life and act like that our life carries no transformation. It, it says in Scripture that we're, we're to live in this world but not of this world, to be strangers and aliens. And this is what the balance I want us to look at today. So let's start with talking about what it means to connect with somebody outside of our belief system, outside of the faith. I want to be very careful as I talk about this because I want to be honest. The church has a strong history of getting this wrong, like getting it dead wrong. The idea of Jesus presented that we would go out and love our, love our enemies as ourselves, to, to connect with those that have never heard the gospel. Historically, this ends up in one of two places. It ends up in war or it ends up in isolation. You can track many wars to the advance of the, what people connected to, the advance of a religion, the advance of the gospel. The Crusades, one of the bloodiest wars in history, was connected to the advance of the gospel. We can get this wrong, but we can also get it wrong by over-isolating ourselves and saying, well, now that I'm a follower of Christ, I need to get away from everything else that's evil, and we live this isolationist lifestyle. There were even those who founded America that had this idea in mind. Puritan culture is based on isolation, based on a moving away and holding on to one set of beliefs and not engaging with anything else. We have not really gotten this right. 
And for some reason, we have difficulty striking the balance in our lives between the desire to see people experience pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope the way that God intended them to and not becoming zealots or hermits. That's typically where we end up in one of those two areas. I remember I grew up in a church that really challenged us in both of these areas. They said, you know, live for Christ, grow in your faith, but also tell people about Jesus and tell people about what was going on. Although as I heard that, I didn't know that I knew exactly how to do that. I I was constantly challenged to do that. But does that mean do I walk down the street and just random stranger comes by and like pop out the pocket New Testament and like pow? You know, I mean, is that is that how you do it or what? What is this? And I remember we were on a it was eighth grade. A lot of middle school stories coming out today. I was in eighth grade. We were on a church trip and there was a group of five or six of us. We were staying at a hotel, I think, in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were walking out and there were some guys like leaning up against a truck having some beers was an eighth grader in the South in church. That was like the most evil thing anybody could do, you know. And so we see them, and we're like, oh, my gosh, these people are not Christians. What should we do? And I, I can remember, like, I, yes, yesterday, I, I walked by, and as we walked by, I stopped. I didn't even tell my friends I was going to do this. And I just turned and shouted at them, Jesus loves you. And then I took off. Like, I just, I just ran. And I was like, and I was like all right. Man, I did it. I told somebody about Jesus. And uh, I would not recommend that that's the way to do it. But, uh, but it's this idea that we don't have to be these crazy zealots or these hermits. And actually, Jesus says something completely different. Paul teaches us in Second Corinthians, there's another word that you and I are to embrace. Look at it, what it says here. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He calls us to be ambassadors, not zealots, not hermits, but ambassadors to represent him to others. Now, what does an ambassador do? He does a few things. I mean, this is like legal if you're the ambassador to another country as an ambassador for Christ. We communicate with accuracy. It's not about us telling what we think. An ambassador doesn't give their opinion an ambassador communicates what was told to them with accuracy. And that's what we get to do. It's, I don't get to make up the story of God. I don't get to make up the story of Christ. I get to communicate it with accuracy. But then what I also have to do is I get to interact with people with authenticity. And here's what this means. Is I, don't, I don't walk around and be like, well, that's what Jesus says, this, this, and this. You know what? But I just really don't like it. Like, I'm a Christian, but if I had my choice, I'd probably be doing something else. I mean, that, that's not a good ambassador. Like, if you were the, the U.S. ambassador to another country and you were like, you know, I like the U.S., but, man, if I could move here, I'd really, you know, whatever you guys got, I want that. That's not an ambassador. We love what we're connected to. We love what we represent. As we represent it with accuracy, we do it with authenticity. But we also get to exercise only the given authority we have. We get to exercise authority. Now, this authority, this is not the authority. We were never given the authority to judge people, condemn people, marginalize people, or trivialize people. We were actually given authority to love people, to show mercy and grace, to forgive people. We have the authority to be a peacemaker, not a starter of conflicts. We get to be ambassadors, not hermits, not zealots, but ambassadors of Christ. 
when we meet people that are outside of our faith that have a different belief system, we approach them as ambassadors. Now, I want to take just a minute because I, I know there are probably people in here this morning who are outside of our faith. And, and you're investigating Christianity. Maybe you're trying to understand God and conceptually. Maybe you just like some of the people that are in here and you say, hey, I, I connect with you people. And, you know, some of you go eat a good brunch afterwards. And so I'll, I'll go through this until we do that. Whatever it is. But I, I want to tell you, make a couple things clear this morning. I want you to hear, you are not a secondary citizen in God's mind. You are not. As a matter of fact, you are a precious creation that has been separated from him just like we all once were. Yet God has worked relentlessly to reestablish a relationship with you. I, I don't care, I don't, and I don't want you to feel that somehow those of us in here who have placed our faith in Christ this morning think that we have any superiority, any advanced standing. We don't. It is only by God's grace that we have found something and been restored and renewed to a relationship with our creator. And it's something every person in here can experience. And we aren't trying to hear, I want you to hear this, we aren't trying to connect with you so that we can just evangelize you because we think we're right and you're wrong. It's simply based on this idea that we were once separated from God. We were once caught in the traps of guilt, shame, pride, arrogance, betrayal, and hopelessness. Yet we found a way out of that living hell. We found a step out. And it was through a restored relationship with God. And we would love for you to have that same experience of being rescued that we had. It's not converting you to a system. It's not that we're out like target practice, like, oh, you're not a believer. I'm coming after you. That's, that's, there are people like that. I'm not going to say there are not those. But our church, our community, our faith family, when we talk about connecting with people outside the faith, we want to connect because we've experienced something that I want somebody else to experience. It's been an incredible journey in my life of having my life restored in relationship to my creator. And I would love for every person I know to experience that. And so Luke here, when he's writing this, he, he talks about this, that he says that, you know, as an ambassador, God is making his appeal through you. And it says here in verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people, all the people. I want to, I want us to take just a few minutes this morning and talk about what is it like? What do we actually do when we connect with people that are outside of our faith? It's very simple, simple and workable Thing. The first thing you got to do is this, is just be a good friend. It says to all the people, just be a good friend. Having favor with all the people. I want you to hear this morning, there is no excuse for withholding the gospel from someone based on their race, gender, sexuality, spiritual background, whatever. The gospel is for all people, and we should be willing to connect our lives with types of all people. According to this passage, our goal should be clear to intentionally connect our lives with people in such a way as that we actually are modeling for them the same value that God finds in them. That I'm not trying to show them their deficiencies. I'm actually trying to show them their value to God. It's not my job, I want you to hear this this morning, to try to convince anybody to become a Christian. That's not my job. Trying to convince people to become a Christian turn them into opponents. Like we're boxing, like here's a, here's a shot, there's a shot. This leads to division. Do I talk about Jesus? Yes. Do I share Jesus? Yes. But can I tell you this? I've never seen someone argued into a relationship with God. 
I've never seen somebody debate somebody else into coming to faith. There's a passage in Acts where Paul stands before a king, and, and the king says this, Do you think you should convince me in one sermon, basically, to become a, Christ, to become a follower of Christ? And Paul says, Nope, that's not my job. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just telling you what happened in my life. So it's not my job to convince through debate. It's also not my job to convert anybody. I can't convert someone. When I start to think that it's my job to convert people, it turns them into targets. Like, oh, that guy. I think I can get that one. I can get him here to church, and if I do that, then we can do this. People are not targets, and when we do that, it leads to disillusion because what it turns into convert is this. It's, it's moving. It's basically we tell people this. You're moving from one uh, moral understanding to another moral understanding, to another way of living. You're setting one thing down and picking up something else. That we have, you set this dogma down and pick up this dogma. Can I tell you the only thing that can convert someone's heart and transform someone's heart is the Holy Spirit, the hand of God. It's not my job. I can't convert anybody. And the other thing I never want to do is I don't want to coerce anybody. I don't want to make anybody, I don't want to guilt anybody into doing doing anything. Do you know what it says leads us to repentance in Christ? It's not the anger of God. It's not the judgment of God. Do you know what it is? It's his kindness, Scripture says, that leads us to repentance. He doesn't coerce us into following him. We're not, he's not dragging us behind him in chains. We're walking beside him as friends. And so I, it's not my job to just coerce somebody and make them feel like they're on the outside. And when I do that, when I do these things, I actually lose influence in people's lives. So don't walk into a friendship with somebody who's outside of the faith and go, Look, the only reason I'm your friend is because one day I'm going to try to convince, convert, or coerce you into doing what I'm doing. That's not being a good friend. I have many friends in many aspects of my life that are outside, don't have a, don't, aren't even close in our belief systems. But, man, we are deep friends. And through those deep friendships, we have some incredible conversations sometimes. You know what I'd much rather have than any of that trying to convince or convert? I just want to have conversations. Conversations. And through those conversations, God will make his truth known. The other thing I want you to see is this, is we, if we aren't supposed to do those things just to be a good friend, then, then what do we do? We or then actually live a good life. Like live a good life in front of people. It says having favor with all the people. Favor is living your life in such a way that it adds value to other people instead of taking value from them. We as Christ followers, if we have been filled to overflowing, as it talks about in John 10, 10, that we have more blessings than we can handle, we ought to, when we engage in people's lives, we ought to leave it better than we found it. We ought to add value to them instead of them like, oh, no, here he comes again. What do you want this time? That's not it. Christ, when he interacted with people, he always added value to their life. And that's what we get to do, to be salt. When, when it says in, in Matthew that we're to be salt and light, in Second Corinthians it said we should be an aroma of life for those that are perishing. It's not that we have to do these things. We just get to be and live a good life in front of people, live a blessed, forgiven life. And then when we do that, at some point, as I mentioned before, we'll have a conversation and we'll get to speak the good news. 
God will be faithful, it says, to add to his number. Now, what is the good news that we get to speak? When I talk to people about sometimes sharing your faith or sharing what Christ has done in your life with other people, I can just see this fear and trepidation immediately in their eyes, like, I don't know what I would say. Like, if somebody ever asked me, you know, I just feel like, I, I like church. They usually have coffee. They ran out this morning, but they usually have coffee. You know, it's uh, and the, because we think it's so big. The story's too big to tell and short things. And I want to tell you, we, we could spend a whole other session on this. But I just want to tell you real quick, what do we have to do when we tell somebody the good news? Here's what I do. Who is God? What has he done? And how did I respond? That's it. I I believe God is a good and gracious God. I've experienced that in my life. And he found me at a point of desperation. And he provided forgiveness for me. And I responded out of faith. I took him at his word. And at that moment, I've been experienced the fullness of life like never before. That's it. That's the story of the gospel. That's how we connect with people. Be a good friend. Live a good life. Share the good news when it's appropriate and when it's natural. I, I want to close with this with just some some thoughts of how do I actually do this? How, do, how does this show up in my life personally? And, and I want to just give you some things. One, I try to intentionally find places where I am the minority spiritually and go interject myself there. Like I don't run to places where everybody thinks like me. Everybody is the same as me. That would be boring. That would be hell to me. Like, I, don't, I like myself, but I don't like myself that much. Like, I want variety. I want to engage with people. I want people to challenge my thought if I'm going to challenge their thought. And if all I ever do is find myself in these closed circle of like-minded people, do you know what I've cut off? I've cut off growth. I cut off opportunity to start to think and understand myself differently. And then one time in those situations, you know what I do? I don't engage with every person. There's sometimes I get in those situations and I'm like, I just don't really like that guy. And that's okay. Sometimes I get in Christian situations and I'm like, I don't really like that guy. And that's okay too. Right? So here's what I do. I engage with people that I actually enjoy spending time with and doing life with that have different views than me. Like we don't have to agree on everything. Many of you remember Gary and Anna who had come to church. They recently moved to Germany. When I first met Anna, it was at a parks meeting. I think Rob and Barbara were there. A number of us were in there. And she found out I was a pastor. She was like, oh, we probably can't be friends. I'm an atheist. And I was like, oh, no, I would actually love to be your friend. Like, I enjoy hanging out with you guys. And if that's the case, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Like, I, I'm driven to that, but actually was driven to just enjoy spending time with her and with Gary. And then here's what I do next. I, I find ways and areas of commonality in our life and things that they're already doing that reflect a Christ-like nature. I'll, I'll use Anna as an example again. When I first met Anna, Gary said this. She is the most Christian, non-Christian I've ever met, is the way he described her. The way she cared for people, the way she had a genuine love for people, just how she believed people. She always believed the best about people. And I was like, that's something we can find common ground on. She may be doing it for a different reason than I am, but at least we can start having some commonality. And then here's the hard part. Then I wait. I'm not like scheming waiting. 
I look him, I'm just waiting. Why are you laughing at Jamal? <laughs> I'm just waiting for God to open up a natural opportunity for a conversation. Like at some point, there's going to be this natural issue that comes up or life event or something that comes up that just somebody's going to say, what's the Christian view of that? What, what, do you, what would your God say about that? Or Patrick, how would you handle that? And now I have opportunity to speak, to have a conversation. This is how I do it. That's not the only way to do it. But we should be thinking and challenging ourselves to, to find commonality with people that are outside of the faith. As we close, William did an incredible job last week of talking about how you and I as believers connect with one another. I was like, all right, that's the second part of my sermon. Like, I don't even have to, to do that part. Uh, but it was this idea that you and I, that one of the main things we can do, and I loved how he hit this last week, is for when we are inside of the faith together, the number one thing we can do is be authentic with one another. Be real. Be real. Just be who you are. Stop trying to put on the spiritual mask, the, the robes, and act like you got it all together. One of the best ways for you and I to connect with those inside of the faith is just be where you're at, where you're struggling, what's going on, be you. I can't tell you for how many years I struggled with this. As a pastor, as working in a church, people always kind of kept you at arm's distance sometimes. They didn't let you into their life, and you said, well, I certainly can't let you into mine, because if you saw my flaws, you wouldn't pay me to do what I'm doing. <laughs> like, you know, you, you have this, and so you just kind of keep things separate. And... uh and can I tell you how frustrating that was in my life and how much I didn't grow in my life and how much I felt like I wasn't experiencing the power of God in my life because I wasn't able to admit and just live in the moment of where I was and allow people to love me, help me, and, and, and help me grow from there. We've got to have both of these in our life. We've got to have people that we can just be real authentic and will challenge us spiritually to grow and we've got to have people that think differently than us and will challenge our thought process than that and we've got to do this in balanced ways we can't be on the seesaw one way or the other so my question for you today is this as we close what's keeping you from connecting your life with people that are different from you are on the same journey as you is it pride ignorance fear is it hurt from the past? Is it some kind of perception of what you think people will think of you? I want to close today with just this thing. Today in here, God may be prompting some of you in some way. Maybe for the first time you're beginning to think what it would be like to be a follower of Christ or to open up your life in a dialogue with somebody about what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe in here you're a follower of Christ and you've been living a hidden life. You, you keep everybody just at arm's distance. Think they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't love me. They, wouldn't, they really knew me. And I want to challenge you. If God's prompting your heart this morning, one of the lessons I've learned throughout my life is when God prompts, he prepares. If God's prompting you for some kind of change, he's preparing you for that change. And if he's preparing you, he's also preparing those around you. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If God's prompting your heart about something, would you make a commitment this morning to speak to somebody about that? Whether it's me or somebody else here that you know or somebody that you came with today or 
you can stop by the connect table and we'll we'll talk to you about that but if God's prompting your spirit would you step into what he is preparing for you today let's pray together